Hey everybody, this is Joel Reed and Scott Tobe from EO Angels, and you're listening to Startup Impact Radio, a podcast about entrepreneurs and their vision for changing the world. This is a show for people who love startups, making an impact, and the occasional drink recommendation. Today, we're talking about Loomis Corp with Nahal Bojack, who is a seasoned business leader and the CEO of Loomis. We'll discuss their plan to disrupt traditional clinical and healthcare training. Thanks for joining us, Nahal. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So if you wouldn't mind, would you tell us a little bit about your personal origin story? How did you get to where you are today? Hopefully we have enough time, but uh, now I (laughs) originally born and raised in India, um, I Bombay. And I came here to study many moons ago um, to do my master's in architecture and computer applications with a minor in UIUX. So I did human-computer interaction in UIUX at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. I worked for a few years in the consulting world, um, moved to Pittsburgh. Um, I was living in Chicago at the time, moved to Pittsburgh. To be close to family, I have an identical twin, which is, uh, it makes for an interesting, uh, we've worked in the same neighborhood, so it makes for some interesting interactions we've had with people um, that have felt slighted (laughs) when one of us is ignored. But anyway, I I moved to Pittsburgh to be close to family, to my sister in particular, Um, decided to go back to school to get my management degree, and went to CMU to get my uh, management degree at the Heinz College of public policy and management, kind of sort of landed into the entrepreneurial space completely by happenstance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a capstone project where one of the early incubators starting out in 2003, when there was really no innovation ecosystem here to speak of, um, they were forming a team. Uh, they recruited some folks from CMU to work on a project. I was one of them and I landed that project. I started working with them uh, in their very early days, six months. They were just six months uh, around. And that's how I kind of was introduced to innovation and entrepreneurship. Uh, I loved it from the get-go. So I stayed there for 15 years. I actually helped build that organization from the ground up. I was the first employee uh, after the co-founders ran an incubator for about 15 some years, which is where I met Joe. Um, and here I am. So it's a very long answer. <laughs> and how about uh, tie that into Loomis Corp? How did you go from there to Loomis? Yeah. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a backwards journey for me. Uh, I was an, originally an investor in Loomis. Um, Loomis was a company that was created in my invest, uh, in my incubator at Idea Foundry. And they were just a research project at the time, and I was running a healthcare accelerator where we worked with companies that were pre-commercialization stage, really to help them determine, you know, commercial viability of their technology, see if there's, you know, avenues there that they can pursue and, and start uh, the companies. I was part of that original founding team, if mm-hmm. you will, got them spun out of pit, all the fun licensing deals, um, gave them the first investment tranche and then stepped back into more of an EIR advisor role 
um, let them kind of run, you know, on the technology development okay. side for the last four years okay. or so. Um, and I stepped into, I was at um, UPMC, I was at Pitt UPMC running an innovation center uh, and being within the healthcare system showed me some of the big gaps that exist in training and how expensive it can be and how not very many people have access to the kinds of training tools that are really critical. Mm. Um, that really opened up my eyes to the opportunity areas, mm. you know, that Loomis could absolutely take advantage of. So I decided to jump back okay. in and joined a CEO okay. back in November. Okay, that's great. So, Thanks for the background. I think my question I want to know is, are you planning to hire your identical twin to work for you someday? No, she's a doctor, so I definitely pick okay. her brain. But yeah, she and I can be in the same <laughs> workspace at any rate. We have a lot of fun together, but can't work together. <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, we're here to talk about your vision and the impact you're trying to have on the world. You just started getting into that a little bit. We have this yep. simple question to ask, but it's a big one. So why do you exist? What's your reason for existing? Yep. So in a nutshell, short answer is that we exist to really help democratize healthcare training in the larger sort of medical universe. Um, healthcare training is very, very essential, you know, in the, in the hospital system, in the healthcare space, if, if you will. It's more of an apprenticeship model. So the idea of, you know, you see one, you do one, and you teach one is really prevalent. Um, until you actually get your hands dirty and really work on a procedure or internalize, you know, what can go wrong in that procedure, how you can do it, that is really the way people learn in the medical realm. But training is expensive. The tools that exist, the current modalities of training, very, very expensive. The standard is really these mannequins, the bodies that <laughs> <laughs> Joel saw when he came to her office. Um, and they are critical. They are anatomically accurate, but extremely expensive. And every time there's new technology that comes out, the mannequin is rendered obsolete. And you have to go buy a new one and a new one and a new one. Now think about the larger hospitals like UPMC, they have tons of money, they can do it, but community hospitals, smaller nursing programs, um, community colleges, you know, that teach these essential skills, they cannot afford to do that. So that's where we come in, where our vision is to take existing modalities of training, existing infrastructure that exists, not to uproot it, but add a whole other dimension to it using augmented reality technology that brings it to life. It lets you dig deeper. It breathes new life into these mannequins so you can look under the surface and, you know, really internalize what you're learning. You get to see the internal consequences of your external intervention, which is very hard to do unless you're practicing on an actual mm -hmm. cadaver, which is also very, very expensive. <laughs> um, can be replaced, but it's very expensive. But, you know, the idea of providing that access to training, to tools that can really work with existing, you know, sunk infrastructure costs is really our vision. That's great. I, I, I can tell you that if, uh, if I were going to have surgery, I would want someone using your technology before they, uh, before they went into a real human. So <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that sounds great. 
Augmented reality is obviously um, just really coming on the scene and becoming more prevalent. Can you talk to us a little bit about your technology, how it works, and and uh, explain it a little? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right. I think, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality becoming very uh, prevalent, especially in the training space. Uh, we've taken a little bit of a different approach where, you know, again, the existing sort of AR, VR technologies are either headset-based or screen-based, you know, little mm -hmm. Pokemon Go, you've hold up a screen and there's a digital simulation that's layered on to an environment. But what, what happens with that is that it renders your hands useless. You're not really manipulating. Your hands are holding that screen in the, in the screen-based scenario. In headset-based scenario, it's a fantastic digital simulation, but it's all digital. You don't have any haptic feedback. You don't have any tactile manipulation. What we've done is we've come up with, to date, to what I know, is the only hands-free augmented reality system where we layer on a digital simulation on top of these medical mannequins, surfaces, um, even cadaveric models if, if somebody wants to kind of practice on that before they kind of dig into the mm -hmm. cadaver. Um, and layer on that digital simulation in a you know, physical environment so that there is not just advanced visualization that you're seeing, but also the act that you're doing, that tactile manipulation that lets you do a procedure and then see what's happening physiologically, anatomically, um, is the way we are approaching our technology. So there's no headset that we use. We have no screens um, that you have to hold up on top of the mannequin. It's fully hands-on. It really enhances team-based training everybody's looking at the same thing. Everybody's practicing on the same mannequin. And if you think about, you know, procedures like intubating somebody where you're putting a tube down somebody's throat, it's not a one-person job. You know, somebody is inserting the tube, somebody's holding a laryngoscope. And it, it, if you're doing it with headsets, you're both looking at two mm -hmm. different things. So you can't really, you know, you're literally hand-waving, um, but not interacting with mm -hmm. the patient. But that's our approach, mm -hmm. which is differentiated. It actually sounds like a much much more sophisticated uh, version of, of the game of Operation that we used to play when we were kids, where you would get buzzed up <laughs> the metal side. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's it. I think that that's going to be our tagline now. <laughs> Bring Operation to life, or something like that. <laughs> There's a buzzer that goes off if you uh, do something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, a mannequin, you know, makes a sound. We were just joking about it in the office yesterday. Is that how about if you do this to the mannequin? Either you know, the mannequin says, "Ouch!" There you go, just like operation. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And Nehal, I think uh, you. I also got to see some of the smart sensors and devices that are part of this training. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit right. about that technology too? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so technology, the platform, you know, there's the AR system that I talked about, but then there are two additional pieces that kind of create this holistic learning environment. So the one of them is we have a software platform or um, software suite, which is loaded with content. So that's learning content, you know, that really helps crystallize the concepts that you practice in a simulation lab using the mannequin, using the AR system. But the other piece, which, you know, I personally think is also equally important that Joel, you're alluding to is the suite of smart peripherals. Mm -hmm. So most people, when they're training, they are using devices 
And those devices are critical, but you have to use the devices correctly. So if you have a stethoscope and you're listening for harsh sounds, you have to have that stethoscope to actually listen. But you can't have a real stethoscope on a plastic mannequin. So what we've come up with is this entire suite of smart peripherals that have sensors within them that can measure user actions. So if you have a stethoscope, it lets you listen to sounds that create this realistic environment, you know, where you're able to see this is a normal sound or an abnormal sound. Or if you're intubating a patient, you're able to sense that you're going the right depth or not the right depth, or you're going the wrong way or the right way. And a whole, you know, other sort of group of peripherals that are still in development. But, you know, that I think is equally important because it connects all of the dots and lets you take very complex concepts and be able to crystallize them, you know, in your mm -hmm. head so that you understand the why of the procedure, mm -hmm. why you're doing something correctly. What is going to happen if you do something incorrectly? And what is the downstream impact of the correct and the incorrect mm -hmm. action? Because at the end of the day, all training leads to patient outcomes. And that is the end goal for anybody mm -hmm. is that you have to have good patient outcomes. I'm a big fan of Stephen Sinek's book, Start With Why. And so I, I believe that you're yeah. absolutely onto something when you're starting in the training with Start With Why. I think that's a, that's a great call. So. <laughs> Um, obviously as entrepreneurs, you know, we always hit roadblocks and we need to pivot. Right. But I'm curious if you had a, okay. a, a magic wand and could just, you know, make your company exactly what you wanted it today, what, what would it, what would it look like? <laughs> That's a tough question. Um, I think, you know, I think for us, there's, there's several avenues. I mean, you know, obviously the, the pivot aspect of it, we're already pivoting because when we started. We were very narrowly focused and that was conscious because, you know, we had our co-founders had um, roots in nursing and nursing anesthesia. But I think for us to have, you know, that broader impact, the big pivot that we're going through now is really widening our market base, going into um, the direction of being able to provide um, these training tools to, like I said, you know, community hospitals, you know, hospitals that are being acquired, say, by the larger, you know, integrated delivery networks, but don't have the same tools or the playing, you know, level, level playing field from a training perspective. So I think for us, being able to solidify our platform to be able to meet not just the need to have, you know, the smaller programs that absolutely critically need these tools, but also be able to meet the wider audience, you know, the teaching hospitals and the medical device companies that also do training is really, you know, the SWAT or the, or the landscape that we would love to capture. Easier said than done, <laughs> I will say, uh, because healthcare as an industry is a complex, mm. moving parts sort of jigsaw puzzle. Mm. So, um, but I think, you know, again, to, to your point about waving the magic wand, if we can demonstrate that learning this way is really resulting in good outcomes and not as many medical errors, because, you know, a surprise to me when I first joined is that medical errors are the third leading cause of mm. death in the U.S. Wow. 
and it results in so much downstream costs. Mm-hmm. It could be simple errors, you know, the drug recognition or the uh, wrong medication, you know, that is pushed in, the wrong flow rate, or it could be something complex in an open surgery where you leave a sponge behind. Um, all of those, you know, result in huge downstream mm-hmm. costs. So for us, I think that's the end goal. If we can connect that learning that we are providing to significant mm-hmm. outcomes, I think that will mm-hmm. be a win. That's a huge impact to uh, bring that down from the number three cause of death to way down. Yep. Uh, yeah. Right, right. And, uh, and I really believe that that training that you're coming up with is going to be way more effective. It seems more hands-on, more interactive, uh-huh. uh, more lifelike uh, to get you closer in that training process. Great stuff. Uh-huh. Um, what talk, talk to us a little bit about the state of, um, you know, medical training. You, you talked about democratizing that and and um, I'm, I'm imagining there's a need for more doctors in, in the U.S. and around the world, and that, that could have a big yes. impact, that democratization that you're talking about. Absolutely, yeah. I think, you know, huge healthcare shortage. I mean, we hear about it on the news all the time. COVID exacerbated mm-hmm. it. But I think what's happening more and more is that Community hospitals, you know, these smaller programs, they're trying to get people trained and ready and out into the field, but there's a huge gap in terms of, you know, just people having the tools, you know, to my point about democratizing, having those tools necessary to train and actually train well and get out into the field. And I think that is, you know, an opportunity wave that, you know, we really absolutely want to capture. But I do think also, you know, and, and can't help but think about it broadly is that, yes, our technology is fantastic, but there's a lot of other technology, too, that's coming out. Because I think it is a critical time. People are realizing that it's important to have the right mm-hmm. tools. Um, and, you know, I think, Scott, you said earlier about AR, VR, you know, kind of coming to, to, to four. It's been used a lot in sort of more consumer-centric, you know, gaming and the Star Wars games and all of that, which I love. Um, but uh, I think, you know, people are realizing that that immersive nature of technology and using technology to train is going to be so critical mm-hmm. because just the way there's a healthcare shortage of people on the field, that also then results in a huge shortage in faculty and instructors. Mm-hmm. So if instructors can't be there, you know, how are students going to mm-hmm. learn? And I think that's another you know, hopefully a problem area that we address through our software, which is promoting self-learning, is that if you come better prepared, you have this content, you are using the content to understand concepts and somebody doesn't have to be there, then you're better prepared when you go into a simulation lab and you learn better there and then you're better prepared when you go out into Mm -hmm. the field. So, you know, hopefully that'll address some of those shortage Mm -hmm. points as well. That's great. Thank you. Um, so, you know, in my company, um, you know, I, I really find culture to be one of the most important things. Um, and, you know, I, I really work hard to infuse, you know, my value system throughout, uh, my company. And I'm just curious, how, how do your cultures and values impact your vision? Yeah, I'm a big believer in culture beats strategy any day. <laughs> so <laughs> I think, you know, as a startup, it is... It's one of the the biggest sort of 
pieces or one of the biggest, you know, points from a cultural perspective is the transparency, of course, but also the idea of continuous, constant feedback so that people are staying on track. It's long and it's hard, the journeys. You have to have fun when you're doing it. You have to really be passionate about it. And, you know, that work ethic, it actually shows in the work product. So I feel, you know, from a startup perspective, those are really important aspects. My own, you know, value system is that play hard, work hard. So, and I can't, you know, see it being true anywhere more so than in a startup because you do have to put in all of these long hours. You kind of have to feel that you're in it together, that everybody's in the trenches, whether you're CEO or whether you're an analyst or whether you're an intern. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, adding that flat structure and, you know, being able to talk candidly to each other, I think is a huge mm -hmm. piece of my value system that I hopefully bring mm -hmm. to Loomis. Great, and I've seen a little bit of that with you and Doug, and um, joking around about yeah. coasters and giving good feedback to each other, and yes, yeah, so <laughs> having fun. And, uh, right, it's a feedback on the technology. It can be on the interior right, decor, right. all of it. <laughs> that's great, Nehal. For the next six months, what would you say is the biggest challenge you guys have to to achieving the next step of, of impact or next phase of impact that you want to have on, yeah. on the medical training market? I think pivoting our technology to hit a much broader audience is our goal right now. Um, because we've been around for a few years, you know, changing the perception a little bit, changing the presence, the brand, um, and and people's perceptions really about, you know, we're beyond nursing. We are a wider platform. I think that has been a little bit of the challenge. I think we're finally there mm -hmm. now where we can say comfortably that, you know, we have other clinical specialties that also fall within that umbrella of our uh, platform. Um, but I think it's staying ahead of the curve. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure you've both read Andy Grove's I don't know the name of the book, but the whole, only the paranoid survive. It's a catchphrase that is in my mind. It always has been, but I think staying ahead of the mm -hmm. curve for us is, is a challenge because like I said, there's a lot of technologies mm -hmm. coming out. We feel we have taken the right approach in not being headset based and not being screen based, but coming up with a very different, you know, way of solving mm -hmm. the same problem. But I think addressing and staying ahead of that curve creating, you know, an, an understanding of why that's valuable on that continuum of technologies, mm -hmm. I think is, is a, is a challenge. Well, challenge is maybe, you know, too strong a word. I think it, it's uh, a significant, takes a significant portion <laughs> of my brain. It's like, <laughs> better, better, word, better yes, way to say it. I couldn't agree more. Um, you, you talked, Nehal, about passion, and uh, I couldn't agree more that, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're going to get knocked down time and time again. And the successful ones are the ones that have such passion for what they're doing that they just keep getting up and keep getting up. And so I'm curious, what's the yeah. source of your passion? Where, where where does it come from? Hmm. Um, I think source of my passion, you know, probably kind of rooted a little bit in my family background. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad you know, was very much an innovator, very much an entrepreneur. 
um, hugely influenced by him. He was tenacious. And, you know, to your point about nothing phased him, I think a lot of that, a lot of my attributes or qualities, you know, definitely come from him. But I think the passion, you know, especially from, from where, where Loomis is concerned, because I've been in that investor role and I have worked with so many different startups, being in the trenches with a number of different startups has also shown me, you know, how hard it is. If you don't have the passion, you know, execution is everything and you can only execute well if you have that passion and you are tenacious and you continue at it and problem solve in real time. So I think a lot of, you know, what I'm bringing to Loomis, obviously it's my baby, I kind of helped create it. So, you know, there's that mm-hmm. whole angle, but I think a lot of it also comes from having seen many great ideas flounder and mm-hmm. fail because, you know, it was not really, you know, pushed through to its mm-hmm. finish line. So I think that's, that's where I get a lot of, you know, where we're going to keep mm-hmm. pushing till somebody <laughs> says stop. <laughs> I know what you mean. You're doing the work, you've got the right values and you're going to see what happens, but you've got the right ingredients for success. So I think that's great. Um, how do you, as your team grows and, and gets bigger, how are you just as a leader inspiring people around this vision? Are there, is there any, you know, th- recommendations you would have for other leaders about how to keep people focused on the big picture as, as you lead a company, a startup company? I think, I think it's, I think it's hard. It's really hard being a leader in a startup. I think it's even harder Coming in as a new leader, I'm not new to Loomis's team, but I'm new as mm-hmm. CEO. So coming in, you know, with a different vision and saying, hey, we're going to pivot when, yeah. you know, things have been a, going a certain different way, this is challenging. I think what I have found, and I hope, hope that's true in all of my roles, you know, whether it's at Loomis, whether it's at any of the other places that I was in a leadership role in. I think for me, communication is the biggest mm-hmm. piece. I am a huge believer and communicating often, candidly and directly about things that are going well, but also things that are not going well and giving them a rationale for it. You know, it's not a because I said so attitude. I think telling them, hey, this is what's going to happen. The same concept that we apply, you know, for our training platform, Mm -hmm. right? Is that, hey, these are the downstream, you know, effects of if you do something Mm -hmm. wrong, this is how it's going to change the course. I think constantly telling people that and having that transparency hopefully inspires, you know, people to see exactly what I'm seeing as the huge potential Mm -hmm. in the company (laughs) and getting them just as excited I'm doing something, you know, which is beyond just the yeah. job and the day to day. That's great. You were inspiring Scott's dog right there, I think. My dog's wanted to communicate with you. And, you know, I literally couldn't agree with you more that communication is the key to success in any great company. And, um, in any great relationship, really, it's, it's, it's all about communication. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, you know, beyond just the one-on-one communications, have you set up certain channels or certain meetings in order to, 
effectively communicate with your team? Yeah. Yeah, we we have a lot of meetings. Uh, we we have weekly check-ins. You know, we have obviously we have separate meetings and so on. We have leadership meetings. We also have weekly kind of all hands meetings where everybody you know comes in prepared to talk about things that they're working on, things that are challenges, things that are not working, and kind of trying to find you know a reason why. Um, but I think apart from that, you know, hopefully. The culture or the channels that have been created are, well, you have my cell phone, you have my email. If there's something that is bothering you, you need to let me know and then I can help mm -hmm. you. It's like, help you help me or, you know, help me help you. Um, but I think, you know, we, we, do, we do have meetings and so on. Those meetings, you know, hopefully are more working meetings um, because I also don't believe in just sort of sitting back and saying, okay, well, you know, I'm just going to listen in. Um, I think that accountability about, you know, what, what I'm bringing to the table is also important to them. Um, we also have, you know, we, I mean, as any company, we have reviews and things like that, but those are more formal channels. I think the things that are most important for us are just one-on-one -on -one conversations. Somebody wants to talk about something and, you know, be able to articulate why something's working or why something isn't working outside of just meetings that are scheduled. Um, to me, those are more valuable. We're being able to, we use Slack all the time. It was something that was completely new to me oh. as a Gen Xer. And I'm like, what is Slack? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, I, 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 I swear by it um. now. I, I can't imagine functioning without it. But I think, you know, in this sort of distributed environment, right, because some of us are Working from home, sometimes we'll go into the office. And I don't think that's changing anytime. I think having, you know, tools like that where you can ping somebody or, you know, get on a huddle or whatever, mm -hmm. I think it's very important um, to be able to, you know, zero in. Look at you, Gen X, are using Slack lingo, huddling people. <laughs> and to me, I told you, I swear by myself. <laughs> Initially, it was an irritant for me. I'm like, I don't want to use this. Uh -huh. What is this? Pick up the phone. <laughs> But yep, now I'm like power slack yeah. user. Well, I just want to ask maybe one more question about impact and vision, and then we'll switch over to some lighthearted sure. questions and finish up. But um, can you talk a little bit about feedback you've gotten from customers about how <laughs> your how this impact is, how they're perceiving it, what they're seeing, that yeah. kind of validation you've gotten from sure. customers? Yeah, I, I think I think the biggest validation we've received is. As a company, when we started, because we have a lot of clinical content, we need a lot of clinical content to be, you know, provided. Um, we started out, like most companies do, with pilots. Uh, we had pilots, you know, early adopters where we had series of pilots that we did with customers um, regionally, but also outside the region. And the biggest validation was every single one of our pilot customers converted to a sales agreement. And to me, that was the biggest validation, you know, there ever exists because they saw value in renewing it, in actually, you know, formalizing mm -hmm. the relationship beyond what they were contributing, getting a discount and all the typical bells and whistles of a pilot. Um, but I think, you know, one of the, and, and we just recently did, um, some of our marketing teams doing this blog series with customers, but a few of the things that we've heard from a validation standpoint and, and the impact that they're seeing 
is that they're seeing their students be a lot better prepared because they have the technology that teaches them what to look out for. The why that you, that we talked about earlier, you know, they are seeing a lot more critical decision-making skills being established because students are not just memorizing what it is that they're supposed to do and say, okay, well, go from step one through step 15. You know, they might stop at step five and say, you know, I don't think step six makes sense. Let me go a different direction. But I think those the critical thinking skills that, you know, are so critical, essential, I guess, um, in the in the medical space, we're, we're hearing that students are getting a lot mm. of that. From an instructor side, because I think that's also, you know, a key user group for us is faculty. Mm. And often faculty, you know, are so stretched for time because they're also practicing clinicians. They're practicing nurses. They're on the mm. field, you know, clinical duties. So it's hard for them to carve out the time to just, you know, specifically go in and just teach for hours and hours and hours. So we're hearing from them that this idea of, you know, self-learning that our platform promotes, where you don't have to be in there, has also shortened the learning curve and had people, you know, come in better prepared so then they can cut right to the chase and talk about the things that matter. And, and some of the intangibles, you know, and I heard this from one of our customers that said, I can't describe a hard sound to them. And when I say, are you hearing this? They're like, mm -hmm, yeah. But I don't know whether they're hearing what I want them mm -hmm. to hear. So the smart peripherals, you know, that I talked about the mm -hmm. stethoscope, like when they put that on, I'm hearing what they're hearing and I can immediately say whether it's mm -hmm. right or wrong. So that's just a, you know, example. But those things really validate the approach that we're taking with our technology is that, you know, it's important to kind of connect those mm -hmm. pieces. So that's, that's, that's very heartening. Yeah, um, for sure. For us, you know. To have all those customers convert over to a sales agreement, that every single one, that's amazing. Yep. That's great validation. Yep. Well, yep. And it sounds like you're making both yep. teachers and students happy, which will eventually make patients happy, right. which means sounds like you're on to something successful. <laughs> well, I'll take us uh, into the later portion of the, uh, of the topics. Um, yep. So I'm curious, yep. uh, what, what advice would you give your younger self? Don't plan too much <laughs> is what I would say because I've had such a, I didn't know when I started, you know, when I was young or in college, I didn't know that this is what I would be doing. I had absolutely no idea. I always thought I'd be in some heavily creative field, you know, mm. design and, and all of that. And now here mm. I am, you know, very much on the number side, although I do drive my team crazy with the UI UX piece. Uh, Joel heard some of that, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I did not think that this is where I was going to be. It has been a very organic journey. So I would tell myself that, but don't plan too much. Things will, things will go the way things will That's go. That's great. That's great advice. And how about what is your favorite <laughs> drink, Nehal? I'm a single malt person. I, I, I am a single okay. malt person. I love single malt. Um, have a couple of favorites, but most single malts will do PTR the better. <laughs> well, and, and Joel, since this is the inaugural <laughs> episode, why don't you share with us what is your favorite drink? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ask both of you. I really like Whistle Pig. I like, uh, and, and rye mm -hmm. whiskeys are my favorite. Yes. So, awesome. what about you, Scott? 
So I am a fan of of tequila, preferably blanco, and uh, I, I like mixing it with just a little bit of ginger ale or soda water and lime. That is my favorite drink. Okay. Tequila is a plus second for me. So, right, the three of us can get That's together right. and we'll have some common overnight. That sounds like fun. <laughs> drink that sounds like a plan. <laughs> well, very good. How can people follow you, Nehal, if they want to learn more about you and your company? Uh, we, I'm personally not very social media savvy, but we do have an Instagram account. We have a Twitter account. It's at LumisCore. Uh, we're on LinkedIn. Um, and I think we have a Facebook account, but I might be wrong. Um, but yep, we Instagram, Twitter, we're on LinkedIn, um, and our website, of course, which is just lumascore.com. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us today, Nehal. Um, thank you everyone for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support our podcast, please share it with others post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. It all helps. You can follow Scott and I on LinkedIn. Thanks, and we'll see you guys again next time. Thank you both.